0: to the Ready for Polyamory podcast, season four, episode five. As always, I'm your host. My name is Laura Boyle. I'm a polyamorous educator and author, and this week we're here to talk about the concept of couples privilege. Privilege as a larger social construct has been sort of gaining in public awareness over the last several years. Hopefully you're pretty familiar with the idea that there are several sociocultural axes like race, class, sexuality, money, and gender along which power resides more strongly in some groups than in others, and that to have the luck of being in one of these sort of culturally preferred groups and not have certain inherent obstacles is what we call privilege. White privilege, straight or straight passing privilege, the class privilege of being in sort of the middle or upper middle class or higher and so on are privilege structures that are sort of frequently discussed in many areas of life. And this is important just as like an underpinning of the rest of our discussion. In polyamorous broader common use, and you all know while I personally love to die on theory hills in my own life, for everyone else and for educational purposes, the common use is what actually matters most of the time. This uh, sense of privilege is the actual meaning of about half of what we call couples privilege. And the background, and it's the background that informs behaviors that make up the other segment of things that we frequently call out as couples privilege. So let me clarify on that a little bit. Just in a very basic sense, we live in a cis heteronormative society that would love to push us all up the relationship escalator two by two, uh, in a sort of first comes love, then comes marriage, and stay there until we die happily or not. So couples that are doing this, especially cis hetero couples that are doing this, are perceived to be doing, uh, or that are perceived to be doing this, get benefits for doing so. And these social, financial, cultural, external benefits that you don't sign up for uh, just in appearing to be a couple and not explicitly uncoupling or blasting your additional relationships equality at every possible turn is couples privilege. That's what I mean by about half of what we call couples privilege is inherent privilege in the same way that we talk about privilege in other axes. Uh, some examples of those privileges are things like tax benefits, insurance benefit benefits, the over 1,100 laws in the United States that are based on marital status uh, that only accrue to married couples. Uh, The legal assumption of paternity, for example. And then things like social approval, where just people are nicer to you when you're in a couple. They've done studies about people living longer because people are generally kinder to them when they're in a couple. Because people assume that you have someone at home to take care of you after procedures and things like that. And build the sort of setup for things on the assumption that you have a partner there for you. Uh, Anyway, this uh, situation where socially people will be generally positive and approving of your relationship if you're in one escalator relationship. Family will happily attend a wedding, for example. External social assumptions about how much work you should put into a relationship or which relationship deserves effort. These are kind of externally applied couples' privilege Uh, privileges. So these privileges that, like white privilege or straight privilege, can't really be opted out of. They can just be mitigated, if we'd like to mitigate them, to the best of our abilities within our relationships. And the cultural underpinning of this sort of privileged mental space for uh, the couple, in scare quotes, can lead folks at all stages of their polyam journeys, but especially in sort of early stages when they're trying to over-anticipate new scenarios and bind themselves into specific uh, reactions to situations by an abundance of rules to act in ways that the community colloquially also refers to as couples privilege, but are actually kind of an embodiment of hierarchy. Uh, The primary or, in scare quotes, real to the outside world couple reinforces itself against additional relationships, right? So rules like open phone policies, like banning social media posts about or by additional partners uh, without including them in that discussion. Because of course, it's one thing to be closeted and to agree with someone ahead of time that like, hey, I'm still in the closet about being polyam, so we're not gonna post about things. And it's another to like, after the fact, Be like, no, 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 nobody talks about anything except my spouse. Uh, People who make rules insisting that you can't have feelings in newer relationships or who have the preferences of the quote unquote established couple steamroll growth in new relationships, these are all frequently cited as examples of couples privilege. They're all informed by couples privilege, but are really sort of just poorly negotiated hierarchy, right? It's unethical behavior. I don't personally do hierarchy, but you're totally entitled to. The way to do hierarchies ethically is to include everyone in open conversation about what the parameters and boundaries are, and to be open to discussion of what those parameters are and what people's needs are, so that if the things that have some wiggle room need to move, or if there need to be changes over time as relationships grow, those things can be adjusted or so that people know what they're opting into at the very least so that they can opt out when it's no longer compatible for them or so that they can make open-eyed choices about what they're getting into basically you need to in any relationship try to respect everyone's boundaries but If one person's needs and boundaries will steamroll another, uh, so like one meta's needs or boundaries would steamroll another meta's, the would-be hinge might need to go, oh, I can't get into this newer relationship. These are incompatible relationships to be in the same network. Sometimes that's just the case. Two relationships can't coexist in a network. That isn't a veto, that's an incompatibility. That said, like, I've had the long, impassioned, maybe slightly intoxicated discussions about whether and what an effective veto looks like in that scenario, and if one half of an established couple is throwing up a million rules uh, to make it that, like, their boundaries have made it so that their long-term partner can't have any new additional partners because their boundaries are so carefully constructed as to make it intolerable for pretty much anyone to join their polycule. You could view that as an effective veto, and it might be. But that's up to them and their existing partner to resolve or repair within their relationship. Whether by themselves or with the help of a professional, (laughs) it's not up to us to decide that they're not doing things right. Um, The only thing we could decide is that we don't want to get involved with them, maybe. Um, But yeah, if they're doing something that's like shrinking the dating pool past being a puddle to being non-existent, that's something they might need to resolve by themselves but that's beyond couples privilege. It's all the way to an issue within their relationship. So there, as we were saying, are two categories here. Couples privilege as a concept, which is this like culturally imposed external to you and your relationship situation that's morally neutral and you should be aware of it and whether you're working to check it or not in your relationship. And couples privilege as a behavior set which is there to reinforce this unchecked societal couple privilege, and to impose hierarchies, usually used um, for folks who are doing so with a lack of self awareness or a like holier than thou attitude about how protective they are of an older relationship or a couplehood of an initial couple that they came into polyamory with, or even if they didn't come into polyamory with it, that they've been in in long standing, right? This notion that the couple as a concept is more important than respecting the needs and boundaries of the humans involved. Sometimes when people talk about this on polyamory forums, they talk about it in terms of not respecting the third partner or the outside partners But often, I find in application, it even includes not actually respecting the needs of the human in the individual couple because they're prioritizing the notion of couplehood so strongly. Um, I wrote a post on the blog about open phone policies and how they're only really okay if you're upfront about them. And they're a great example of this because I see toxic monogamy culture advise them as a coping mechanism in sort of multiple scenarios for folks to avoid doing work around trust or conflict. And this everyone knows couples can sometimes look in each other's phones thing is almost a truism. Even though I know tons of people in healthy relationships of all varieties, monogamous, polyamorous, everything in between, who kind of cringe at that, right? Uh, here's a story time about that. Several years ago, I was in a, like, relatively new relationship that we hadn't defined with partner or boyfriend-girlfriend labels yet, but, like, the person I was seeing and I had been seeing each other for a few months, and we were starting to share more of our histories, our, like, inner lives, all the hard stuff to talk about with one another. Now, I'd met their spouse, and I thought we were pretty friendly, not, like, best friends, but... We'd had a drink on our own, we'd read some of the same books, we'd seen each other at events. As far as I knew, we were really chill. But they had an open phone policy that I didn't know about. She went through their phone during this time that we were just starting to really open up to each other. And lost it that they'd shared a particular story from their past about like a sensitive incident that I guess they didn't share with people with me. And lashed out at me in a separate chat about how I hadn't done enough to deserve this trust from our mutual partner. And when I reached out to the Hinge to, like, ask what the heck was going on while I'm trying to field this conversation with this meta, they had no idea that she knew at all because she hadn't talked to them about it. She just decided that she was upset and insecure about the fact that I now knew this thing that she thought she was the only one who knew and flipped out after snooping. It caused them a huge fight and problem and it sort of stunted the advancement of my relationship with that person in a way that created... Communication and trust issues between us that led to the relationship floundering later. I didn't end up feeling sort of fully safe sharing in that relationship or like I generally had a good sense of what the landscape was in their life of how things were going because their partner clearly felt so entitled To every aspect of their life, Uh, by the way, the like fallout of that fight went. Because they felt totally, totally justified both in having looked at the stuff, having confronted me about what they saw, and like, this was not a shared story about the two of them. This was the mutual partner sharing with a new person, me. An issue from their past. It really, in hindsight, was wild. Um, But anyway, it felt like the rules could be shifted on me unexpectedly at any time and so it wasn't a relationship that ended up really taking off because I never got to a place of trust. And if I'd known ahead of time that there was an open phone policy, I'm not 100% sure what I would have done at the time because it wasn't an issue that I'd thought about in any way before that. Now, I know that what I would do is I would limit what information gets sent in texts and emails and I'd ask for more frequent phone calls instead because I don't like the feeling of having bigger communications open to a third party who I'm not with, right? And I'd use texts for logistics, good mornings, and after things were well-established, like little I love you's and stuff like that, right? It'd be a pain in the ass, but a manageable one. The thing that would be unacceptable for me would be not knowing that there's such a policy and having it sprung on me again in a similar fashion. This notion that pretty much any rule can be a rule that you guys negotiate in It's just got to be something you know about in advance, because it might be a deal breaker for someone involved, is really the sort of underlying thing. Another common, like, rules imposed such that it might bite the couple imposing it later kind of topic uh, is in the realm of fluid bonding, which frankly deserves its own episode or several episodes of the podcast. But uh, that's one that I'm a little bit nervous to tackle, because, I mean, on top of all the other reasons, posting podcasts about it would uh, go firmly into adult content territory, and I don't know about uh, Apple letting me stay up if I'm completely open about all my thoughts on that. But the shortest version, folks can fluid bond or not. Fluid bonding, for anyone who's not aware, is ceasing to use barriers while having sexual content contact within relationships, Uh, for a million reasons, but like, there's a lot of cultural baggage around doing so that says that it should be because of closeness or the solidity of the relationship, and this ends up playing into people's choice to make rules around it uh, and using rules around it as an agent of hierarchy and couples privilege Uh, instead of thinking about it in terms of uh, STI risk and risk factors sort of equally across partners or thinking of you know factoring in things like frequency of average sexual contact or things like that and people don't don't consider that they think of things like well the longevity of one relationship over the other or they think of well you and I have a title to our relationship so we are not go you know we're not going to use barriers And with this person, I haven't given that relationship a title yet. So I am going to use barriers with them, even though I'm having, you know, six times as much sex with them as with you. And someone who's approaching this from an extremely logical point of view might look at that and go, that doesn't make any sense. You know, and maybe it does or maybe it doesn't because there might be other concerns. There might be pregnancy possibilities or things like that that matter. Who knows? We're not these hypothetical people, right? Really, sometimes, all else being equal, folks just have hard and fast rules about it that they create to prioritize the primacy of one relationship over another because our culture kind of tells us That this is about closeness and about proving how real or strong your relationship is. I don't subscribe to that, but I have known so many people who do and who have had huge conflict when they try to add additional fluid-bonded partners. Because even if logically they think that it shouldn't be about that, emotionally that's still part of their reasoning... And so it becomes a very tough sort of metaphorical road to work to get to the point where they can apply the logical side of things rather than the emotional side of things to that issue. Um, And so issues like this, I'm pretty sure that everyone who has negotiated changing the terms of a previous agreement about barriers... was any more defined than tell me about changes and we'll adjust together. We'll recognize the way that this uh, sort of societal emotional loading can make this a hard issue for newer partners who don't want to feel less than uh, when they're non-primary or they're not the married ones or whatever. Or for nested or married partners who are trying to come to compromise positions and might logically see why this should be something that could change, but emotionally it was something they were holding on to as like a special thing about their relationship. Um, Or for hinges who want to sort of respect everyone's needs but might be holding on to some of those things themselves and they don't know where they fall on this issue yet. Like figuring out what their own metrics are first and to what degree they apply each of them and then having to see where each of their partners fall And try to broker a level in the middle for everyone. Can be a really tricky situation. And it's not a pure like issue of one of these positions is couples privilege and the other ones aren't. It's an issue of applying this without including everyone in the conversation. Is a matter of applied hierarchy in a manner that will... I think we can pretty firmly call couples privilege, but as soon as you include everyone in the conversation, it's no longer a privilege issue. It becomes something that just has to get worked through, right? And that external cultural issue of, well, we've decided that this is an emotional which relationship is real, is an external privilege thing. So on this sort of purely cultural front, that privilege issue is morally neutral. You're not bad for having internalized these issues of privilege. Privilege is morally neutral. But if you choose not to acknowledge where privilege exists, if you have privilege in some relationships and not others, if you're a hinge who has a primary or a married or a nesting partner that the world at large will acknowledge to a greater degree than your other partnerships. And your partners who are in this sort of lower status or less socially privileged position point out that something that happens by default is couple, couples privilege and hurts them. As their partner, you should try to help mitigate the harm. It's like trying to be anti-racist while living with white privilege will I fuck up and not notice aspects of it sometimes? Yes. Most often at first and more often than I would like. But there are things to do to keep working on it. And like, in a couples privilege framework, this is things like decentering a marriage or a nesting partnership from your social life and public facing choices, if you don't mean for it to be primary. You can always choose to mean for it to be primary. But if you've made the, like, sincere choice that you're not trying to make your marriage or your nesting partnership look primary, you have to take active steps for it not to be and not just say the phrase, I don't have a primary partnership. Um, you have to be mindful about how you share about your life in public to be inclusive. Um, you know, I don't just mean, like, use the words spouse, husband, or wife a little less often, but like equally referring to all your partners as partner sometimes does help. Or um, if you have two nesting partners who you treat the same on the day-to-day, but you're only married to one of them, collectively picking a way to sort of refer to that or making a point of Posting pictures about everyone or things like that, if you're big social media users, can be helpful, right? And like, just as in relationship anarchy, it's about customizing your commitments, not avoiding making them. I'm not saying you need to toss commitments you've already made out the window or to toss, you know, marriages, ceremonies, rituals, and parties out the window. Just... Correct people when they assume that the person who you had a ceremony with is your only partner. Like, include the important people in your life in the presentation of your life that you give to the world to the best of your ability. When you know people well, and they invite you to something and only give you a plus one, try to bring the non-spouse sometimes if they're not a particular friend of your spouse. Things like that. It's basically, we can't opt out of social expectations and cultural expectations, but we can choose to support all of our partners, including those that we don't have the bandwidth to escalator with, by subverting some of the cultural expectations that underlie these couples' privileges that aren't particularly benefiting any of us. Like so many things in polyamory, this is all tied into the choose your own adventure nature of relationships and our position in our society. And given that we live in a time and a place where thousands of laws, including our health care, other kinds of insurance, taxes, and more, hinge on our couple's status and can't really be expanded long larger, we might choose to be in relationships that look like monogamous couples with external points of interaction, or where our networks look like a series of those, right? Where sometimes we have secondary relationships that are kind of like well-tolerated, old-timey affairs. And heck, if you're into it, after some negotiation to show that everyone's on board, maybe you role-play that sometimes your kink is not my kink, but I see where it comes from. On the other hand, truly deconstructing these advantages that are accruing to couples And building polycules that are as close to egalitarian as possible might be your goal. And if so, you can only do it by acknowledging where the points of power and ease that are granted couples, especially married couples, are. And it's one of those things where there are so many little points that we mostly don't think about until... Someone in our life runs into a bump or a roadblock because of them. And then we go, oh, okay, how do we fix it? And there isn't always an easy fix. But in doing our best to address them, it's showing a level of intentionality and kindness. And in thinking about it ahead of time so that we're not always playing catch up. If we're people who don't want to be in a sort of hierarchical or couple-centered relationships, it puts our money where our mouth is. I hope that this little examination brought up some points for thought, consideration, and discussion for folks. Um, I'm going to link to some related blog posts in the show notes. And as always, you can find the whole blog at readyforpolyamory.com. Uh, I've been having fun conversations with folks about some related topics on TikTok, which I'm at ready for polyamory on there if you want to join us. Um, if uh, I'm the same username on Instagram too. Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Laura cb uh, eighty eight if you want to hear my sort of shortest flailing thoughts on these things, I've got time available a couple of days a week still for people interested in, Coaching sessions and that links in the show notes. And we're still building our Facebook community group at Facebook.com slash groups slash ready for polyamory. And I'd love to have you join. Uh, if you liked this episode or any of my content and are so moved, uh, you can leave a tip at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. And I appreciate you all listening. Next week we'll be back with one more episode before the holiday weekend. Um, Have a good one.